Hello there and welcome to our monthly uh, IASB update podcast. Um, the IASB met in public from the 23rd to the 25th of July 2013 um, here in London. Uh, we were joined this month uh, by the uh, by the FASB uh, for some of the sessions. Um, just a reminder before we do begin, uh, all views expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily represent those of the IASB. Um, I'm joined today by Stephen Cooper, who's a member of the IASB, and Alan Tashira, uh, and I will hand over to them uh, for a quick update on the events of this month's meeting. Um, Stephen, I think you're going to kick off with revenue recognition. Yeah, thanks. I guess the most substantive part of the, the joint meeting was uh, some issues that we dealt with on revenue recognition. We're in the process of drafting the final standard on revenue, and the three topics we discussed were issues that have been raised as part of that drafting process, and they concerned uh, collectability, uh, accounting for contracts that don't actually get into the revenue model, and then the constraint. And, and essentially, it was uh, uh, it was determined that we need to do uh, some clarification in those areas, and the staff came back to the board for additional guidance. So, firstly, on collectability. Um, what we decided to do was to include some additional guidance to make sure that an entity is clear about whether doubts on collectability rising from customer credit risk should be accounted for as either variable consideration, in other words a price concession or discount, or accounted for as an impairment loss, because there are circumstances where uh, such doubts about collectability could be accounted for uh, in both ways. And, and the idea was that we should include additional guidance uh, saying that to uh, see whether doubts over collectability should be variable consideration, an entity should consider all the facts and circumstances related uh, to that particular contract uh, and, and, and consider attributes of the contract where a customer might uh, indicate that the promised consideration is variable. And this could include situations where the incremental cost of the entity to transfer goods and services to the customer is, is very small, uh, or that the goods that transfer uh, are not expected to diminish in value. Under those two circumstances, that there's an enhanced possibility that doubts over collectability actually indicate uh, a price concession. So, so we're not providing a, a hard and fast rule about which way it goes. We're, we're giving guidance, we're giving a principle, and then asking people to, to apply that in the light of that guidance. Second issue we dealt with was accounting for contracts that don't actually meet um, uh, meet the requirements to actually get into the revenue model in the first place uh, and we were just making sure that it's clear what happens to any consideration received in those circumstances. And the idea is that the consideration that is received shouldn't be recognised as revenue until the entity's performance is complete uh, and uh, either all the consideration has been collected and is non-refundable or the contract has been cancelled and the consideration received is also non-refundable. So it's just really clarifying exactly what to do with cash received, consideration received under those circumstances. And then lastly, the, the operation of the constraint, um, uh, the again clarification uh, to make sure that uh, uh, the requirements here are, are clear. Actually, this was a slight change uh, in the approach uh, the, the board took, but uh, um, essentially what we decided uh, is to specify that for all contracts, uh, an entity should include a minimum amount of variable consideration 
in the estimate of the transaction price. Previously, we had uh, uh, had a situation where that wouldn't always be the case. It depended upon whether the contract was uh, something that was satisfied over time or at a point in time. And in addition to that, uh, not to specify the circumstances where a minimum amount should be zero, nor specify an exemption for sales-based royalties on license of intellectual property. That, that exemption was something that was proposed in the, the ED. So uh, we're, we're relying upon the constraint essentially under these circumstances and, and removing this distinction between the, the different types of, of contracts. So uh, partly a change, partly a clarification. Uh, but, uh, but those were, were the, the, uh, the decisions and, and obviously more detail can be find, found in update uh, on each of those three items. Okay, thank you very much Stephen. Um, moving on, post-implementation reviews, Alan. Um, we discussed IFRS 8 and IFRS 3 um, during this meeting. Um, would you like to take us through? Sure, thanks Chris. The, um, just the week before the board meeting on 18th of July, uh, we, we wrapped up the review of our operating segments um, Standard and that's, that's IFRS 8. Um, we published a feedback statement and a report setting out what we found in the review. Uh, essentially, just uh, to give a quick snapshot of that, we didn't find anything fundamental in terms of concerns expressed to us, although a few mixed views amongst some investors, and particularly some investors don't like uh, through the eyes of management approach that is built into IFRS 8, and, and, and whereas others do. So we've got some slightly mixed views in there, but, but nothing that causes us to fundamentally look at uh, IFRS 8 again. But we did find one or two small th smaller things, we call them narrow scope improvements, um, the, the little things about how we identify um, what we call the chief operating decision maker, for example. Um, we've indicated in the report that we would have a look at bringing some of those issues back to the board for consideration. Uh, and we had another a quick oral update at the meeting as well, and the idea is to bring some of those issues back um, later this year in the form of papers um, suggesting some potential narrow scope um, changes to IFRS 8. Um, some other issues which really are to what I would call um, the heart of materiality, some people wanted more detail specified in the requirements of operating segments, we're going to feed those into our, our broader disclosure project. Um, so you'll see, if you, people go and have a look at the report which is available on our website, you'll see um, the issues that we're it is possible that there would be some board action and try to outline some the steps we'll take. Um, but having wrapped up IFRS 8, the next one on our, our list is IFRS 3, which is business combinations or merger and acquisition accounting. Um, we undertook that in two big phases, um, 2003 and 2008, um, and the board's decided that um, what we'll do is, is put the whole thing together into one and review all the parts. And um, for those who have followed the project historically, that includes things like um, classifying the non-controlling and minority interest as being part of equity. Uh, it's, we, we eliminated the pooling of interest method, and so you always have to identify an acquirer. Um, the non-amortisation um, of goodwill, going back so it's more of an impairment model. All of those things will form part of that review. Um, the staff presented a plan to the board, and essentially we're going through our first phase, which is targeted outreach. We're going to be talking to some investors, preparers, auditors and others and that will help provide us with enough information to put together a proposed request for information. So really our big public consultation will start um, towards the end of this year once we've actually done a little bit of preliminary thinking about it. Sure. Okay, thanks very much. Um, um, moving on, uh, financial instruments. Um, Stephen, are you going to take us through some of the various phases that were discussed uh, during the meeting? 
Yeah, we, we discuss uh, three phases, classification, measurement, impairment, and hedge accounting, all at uh, very different stages. For classification and measurement, uh, the boards had previously received a report on the, the feedback, giving feedback on the exposure data that was issued last year. Uh, this, this meeting, the staff came back with a, a detailed plan for the redeliberations. We didn't start the redeliberations in this meeting. Meeting they, they will start in, in September. So no decisions were made uh, regarding the uh, way forward on, on that. However, we did make uh, a couple of related decisions, I guess, related to the early adoption of part of the standard and then the effective date. Uh, the early adoption concerns uh, the own credit requirements. Uh, this is something that has been particularly controversial. Uh, the ISB has proposed previously a solution to the so-called own credit problem whereby we would take changes uh, in the fair value of liabilities where the fair value option has been elected that relate to changes in own credit into OCI. Uh, and many people feel that this solution should be made available sooner than the rest of the model. The board decided not to include the solution within IS39. It didn't feel that it would enable the solution to be available any sooner, uh, and it saw uh, drafting issues and, and, and additional time spent on it to, to not be desirable. However, the board was persuaded that we should make this own credit solution available within the context of IFRS 9 earlier. So therefore, we've decided to allow early application of just the own credit requirements uh, from IFRS 9. So somebody can continue to apply IS39, but then early adopt just that own credit solution in IFRS 9. What will happen is that once the, the next um, version of IFRS 9 is complete, the version that will include the hedge accounting chapter, then we will include this early adoption option within that version so that people can use it straight away once that is, uh, has been published. The other thing we did was defer the mandatory effective date. Uh, at the moment, the mandatory effective date of IFRS 9 is for accounting periods beginning on or after 1st of January 2015. Given that our general policy is to allow 18 months uh, between issuing a standard and the effective date, obviously that is now very tight uh, considering uh, the fact that uh, we're still we're still deliberating some aspects of the model, namely the, particularly the impairment requirements. So we decided to defer the effective date. We haven't specified uh, an effective date to replace 1st of January 2015. We have simply said that uh, we will, uh, the, the application of IFRS 9 is not mandatory from any particular date and we will insert a date in some, at some future time um, once uh, we have completed uh, the remaining aspects of the model. Moving on to impairment, uh, we had a, a joint board meeting with the FASB for uh, the staff for each board to present uh, to the joint board meeting the feedback that we have received on our respective impairment documents. Uh, the IESB uh, comment period only expired a, a couple of weeks ago, so this was very much a preliminary assessment of the comment letters and the field work, and there will be a more detailed a report back in September once we start actually the, the, the re-deliberations of the individual aspects uh, of that model. At the joint meeting the, the boards heard uh, the feedback on the two models. Uh, I'm sure everybody is aware that uh, the two models are quite different. Uh, the feedback uh, had some similarities but also had some differences uh, as well. 
uh, and the boards will be taking that into account uh, in deciding on the appropriate way forward uh, to, to deal with impairment. But the work itself in terms of re-deliberations and deciding the, the, the way to go will begin uh, in September. And then lastly on hedge accounting, this is at quite a different stage in terms of development. Uh, we're in the process of putting together the, a discussion paper on accounting for macro hedging. Uh, the, uh, the staff wanted to come back to the board with, with a particular area uh, related to the portfolio revaluation approach and the possible use of OCI uh, to deal with some aspects of that revaluation. Uh, so, so the potential for that was discussed. Uh, the staff outlined both the advantages and disadvantages of such an approach. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, the staff was... Uh, particularly uh, keen on the, on the method and foresaw many problems. However, uh, I think in order for the discussion paper to be comprehensive, uh, that we do need to include uh, that element or that particular approach to dealing with macro hedge accounting. Uh, and as such, uh, with the, the staff presented a possible approach and, and the board agreed that we should include this within the discussion paper and ask feedback uh, on it. But also talked about some aspects of disclosures, again, to, to confirm what we're going to be including within the discussion paper uh, to get feedback. So the uh, drafting of that discussion paper is in progress at the moment. Uh, I hope that it will be issued before the end of the year and we can uh, get, uh, get the discussion going on uh, this revaluation model that the board has been developing for dealing with macro uh, hedging. Sure. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Alan, anything else? We had a few other smaller issues. We <coughs> little things like um, well, the little things. Big if you're affected by it, I guess the the comprehensive review of the IFRS for SMEs. Uh, we just went through our last stages of due process where we we sit back and we review all of the the steps we've taken and uh, the, seek the board's clearance for that. And, and um, essentially, the, we're now in the drafting phase for uh, and voting phase for that. So we should see a, an exposure draft out in the next couple of months on IFRS for SMEs. Um, we dealt with some annual improvements, the 2010-2012 cycle. Um, that's been finalised and we, sh we expect to have that wrapped up um, with a package of smaller uh, amendments later on this year. Um, and they relate to some other narrow issues in relating to property plant and equipment, etc. Um, the other thing that has been going on, I guess, um, in parallel with this, last Friday we had a meeting of our rate regulated activities consultative group. Um, we did discuss very briefly rate regulated activities. Uh, we do have an interim exposure, exposure draft out at the moment proposing grandfathering of rate regulate, regulated activities, but we also have a special consultative group that's got people from all over the world. Um, and some from practice uh, in terms of the, some from the regulators, uh, the auditors, so a wide variety of participants and, and that's to help us put together a discussion paper on rate regulated activities more generally um, to see whether or not we in fact do have a problem that we, we can actually solve. Um, so that group met last Friday. For those interested, um, there's a recording of that. It's available on our website along with all the papers that were discussed publicly. Uh, and a week earlier, we had a meeting of the a special consultative group on effects analysis that we are chairing. And again, that's got about 18 people from around the world, including the SEC, the European Commission, um, and people from uh, academics, standard setters, and practice as well. And um, the idea of this group is to try and help develop a consistent approach to um, assessing effects that 
that um, the board will follow, that uh, everybody will buy into. And the idea is to try and help um, get more buy-in and smooth the, the approvals process in terms of um, standards around the world. Um, Steve mentioned re revenue recognition. Um, the matters that they were discussed were what we call sweep issues, and, and that's because we're, we're, they came out of a fatal flaw process, so we're very well advanced in terms of um, voting for the final standard on revenue recognition, and that uh, is, is, again, is shorter rather than longer term. Um, but in terms of meetings, this is uh, our August break coming up. It's the only month of the year we don't have our, our public board meetings, so a little bit quieter for us, and that means, that, of course, the next... Uh, podcast on uh, board meetings won't be um, until September. Sure. Stephen and Alan, thank you very much. Um, as mentioned, no board meeting in August, so our next uh, meeting and therefore next update will be um, between the 12th and the 20th of September um, this year. Uh, until then, thank you very much.